Welcome. Thank you for listening. We're currently working our way through the book of Joshua, celebrating the God who keeps every promise he has ever made. If you're in the Milwaukee area and you're looking for a church home, we'd love to meet you. You can connect with us more through our website, harvestcommunity.org. songs like that for us in worship are like a full meal. It's what worship should be, reflecting the truths of scripture so that we can sing them, say them at the same time together, placing all of our hope in Christ. Thank you, Jay, and the worship team for leading us this morning. And welcome back to the book of Joshua. Happy New Year to all of you, and welcome back to the book of Joshua It was a meaning-filled advent for us as a church season. I know it was for myself and my family, but I'll be honest with you, I was reading the book of Joshua during Advent as well, really excited to start the second half of the book. Uh, Some of you are just joining us in this new year. I know some of you uh, gathered here this morning might have found Uh, harvest during the Advent season. And so this second half of the book of Joshua will be uh, the very beginning for you. So I'd like to just take a minute to catch you up and to remind uh, those of you who have been here for the whole thing, what we have seen in the book of Joshua so far. In Joshua chapter one, we found Joshua commissioned by the Lord in the wake of the death of Moses to lead God's people into the promised land. In chapter 1, verses 3 and 5, the Lord makes big promises to Joshua. In verse 3, he says this, I have given you every place where the sole of your foot treads, just as I promised Moses. In verse 5, no one, as you do that, will be able to stand against you as long as you live because I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or abandon you. God then commands them because of these promises that God is with them to be strong and courageous and to meditate on God's word. In verse six, God says this, be strong and courageous for you will distribute the land. Keep that in mind, by the way. This is going to come to start the second half of the book today. The Lord is telling Joshua here, you will distribute the land I swore to their fathers to give them as an inheritance. Verse 8, this book of the law of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it for then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. After chapter one, starting in chapter two, Israel begins going to send spies out. God uses Rahab. They end up taking the city of Jericho, which was the first of many, many battles. We ended right before the Advent season at the end of November with chapters 10, 11, and 12. And we saw that without exception, they were victorious and God was giving them every single place that the foot, the sole of their foot stepped. God gave them that place and the people of God were victorious because of the promises of God and that God kept every single one of his promises. We left off in chapter 12, right before our Advent break, and it it is the pivotal point 
where we turn the page into chapter 13, which is very officially, you can observe the, the properties of chapter 13 are an official start to a second section of the book of Joshua. Chapter 12, 10, 11, and 12 left us, or let us in rather, on an important secret. It's as if the curtain was pulled back and we saw this, that it was the Lord fighting for them the whole time. So not only did God call Joshua to go and to lead his people into the promised land, not only did God tell them to be strong and courageous, not only did God say, I will be with you, but by the time we get to the end of the first half of the book of Joshua, we discover that it wasn't them winning these battles and they weren't victorious on their own, but that it was the Lord who was fighting for them in every place. Chapter 13 is the beginning of a brand new section. Chapter 1 and verse 1, which I, I realize I don't have on the screen for you, begins with a description of Joshua. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Chapter 13 reframes the book with a much older, battle-worn Joshua. Chapter 13 begins the second half of the book that is much different than the first half. The first half, stay with me here, the first half was action-packed. Just battle after battle, victory after victory. Chapter 13 will start the second half of the book, and there's many lists and names and things. The pace just starts to slow down a little bit. But I believe if we stay together in the second half of the book of Joshua, that we will see that God is doing exciting things in these details. We will find that God is specifically and purposefully in these details. So let's dig in. Here's the first seven verses of chapter 13, and you will begin to see already what I mean by this slower pace and the increase in names. So God be with me as I read these. Joshua 13, 1 through 7. Joshua was now old, advanced in age, and the Lord said to him, you have become old, advanced in age, but a great deal of land remains to be possessed. This is the land that remains. All the districts of the Philistines and the Geshurites, from the Shihor east of Egypt to the border of Ekron on the north, considered to be Canaanite territory. The five Philistine rulers of Gaza, Ashdod, Eshkelon, Gath, and Ekron, as well as the Avites. In the south, all the land of the Canaanites, from Era of the Sidonians to Aphek, as far as the border of the Amorites. The land of the Gebelites and all Lebanon east from Baal Gad below Mount Hermon to the entrance of Hamath. All the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon to Misrepheth, Maim, all the Sidonians. I will drive them out before the Israelites. Only distribute the land as an inheritance for Israel as I have commanded you. Therefore, divide this land as an inheritance to the nine and a half tribes of Manasseh. So you see what I mean already? Like we're not entering a new town. There's no spy going into a new town. There's no uh, planted a person by God like Rahab who's about to uh, uh, contribute to this victory from the inside out. The land, remember in chapter one, God commanded Joshua, you will distribute the land that Moses promised, that I promised Moses 
and here it's happening. But I promise you, stick with the second half of Joshua, and I think you will see a God that you can trust in the details of every page. The second half of this book begins with a much older and battle-worn Joshua. He's at least 85 years old. Some people think, some scholars think he's older than that. I'm going to go with 85. We know his counterpart, Caleb, at this point in, in history is 85 years old. He's at least 85 years old. And there is still land to possess by the Israel army. And how, how would you feel about this opening description? How encouraging is this? So Joshua was now old, advanced in age. And what did the Lord say to him? You're old, advanced in age. <laughs> Dear Lord, thank you. Um, I feel old. I don't know. No, it, it doesn't end there at all, does it? What does it say next? You have become old. Old, such as the way of life advanced in age, but a great deal of land remains to be possessed. And then verses two through six outline what still needs to be conquered, but culminates in this key phrase, I myself will drive them out of the remaining land before the people of Israel. What we see in these first verses is this important truth. That while God acknowledges the weakness of his servants, he doubles down on his promise to continue to do the work. We see that Joshua at age 85, worn by many, many battles and hardships and travel, has great purpose with the Lord. We see from the Lord in the life of Joshua that in every phase of life, there is purposeful work given to us by the Lord to do. That the best work isn't done in our 20s or 30s. That the peak of life isn't at 40 or 50 or 60. But in every age, there is purposeful work to do by the Lord. And that this work is possible and able to be done at every stage of life. Why? Because just as when Joshua was 40, God will do the work for him at age 85. I imagine Joshua in his warrior days, he and Caleb were about 40 years old when they were called by Moses to go with the 12 spies into the land of Canaan. And these two brave warriors were the ones that came back and said, we can do this. Or rather, God can do this. Let's go. And the other 10 gave a report that spoke fear into the hearts of the people of Israel. But Joshua and Caleb at about age 40 were full of fight. But what Joshua reveals to us was that the success of Joshua and Caleb was God. And so at age 85, when God says there's still a lot of work to be done, there is just as much possibility, promise, and power at age 85 as there was at 40, as there was at 30, at 20, and 18, and 15, because it is the Lord who fights for us, and it is the Lord who does the work. God's promises contained in Joshua 1 are in full force in Joshua chapter 13 because it is God who fights for his people. As author Dale Ralph Davis puts it, the mortality of his servants never handicaps the everlasting God. 
When God calls us to do something, God is fully aware of our limitations and weaknesses. When God talks about Israel, he he talks about them as being few in number and, and least among the nations, and God drew near to them and entered a covenant relationship with them and used Israel for his glory. In the New Testament, when when believers are talked to by the Apostle Paul, Paul says, not many of you were mighty, not many of you were brilliant, but the Lord called you. God doesn't call us to his purposes to use us for his glory. God doesn't give us tasks to do because we are capable on our own of doing them. All wise, omniscient God, knowing full well the limitations that each of us have. Each person in this room is equally limited in our finite bodies and minds, but each of us have a relationship, the possibility of a relationship through Christ with God who empowers us by his spirit, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ to have great purpose at every age, every decade, every month, every day of our lives because it is, it is the Lord who does it. As we continue, we see that this section ends with God clarifying what Joshua's responsibility is going to be at age 85. He says, there's a lot of land to possess. I'm going to drive the enemy out and the people will move forward and possess this land. But Joshua, remember how in chapter one, I told you when I called you up to take the place of Moses, that you will distribute the land that I told Moses to distribute. So here we go in in verse seven, only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance And this is what I'm talking about in the sermon title this morning, God's greatest gift. What God has promised, he's now giving his people in verse seven, allot the land of Israel to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you in verse seven. In the second movement of this chapter, I've divided chapter 13 into two sections. Verses 8 through 33 form the second half of chapter 13, the beginning of the second half of the book of Joshua. And we see that the victory of God is in the details outlined here. Uh, Who has a a paper uh, analog Bible with you? Or if, if, if you're accessing the Bible on a screen, would you just scroll down through this? Look at verses 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Scroll through that. 15 through the end of the chapter. Can you see why I didn't ask one of the worship team members to read scripture this morning? I would be leading worship myself after that. What may appear to be a boring list of hard-to-pronounce names, would you believe me, is actually a rich account of God's victory and powerful promises being fulfilled. You remember back in Joshua chapter 1, which frames the whole book, starting in verse 2, God says, cross over the Jordan to the land that I'm giving the Israelites. I have given you every place where the sole of your foot treads, just as I promised Moses. Your territory will be from the wilderness in Lebanon to the great river, the Euphrates River, all the land of the Hittites, and west to the Mediterranean Sea. Now we turn through pages, which are years 
scriptures, and now we see that the land truly is being given to God's people, that God has kept his promises. As scholar David Howard wrote in his commentary on these verses, these lists, and I quote, are the heart of the book in that they prove to the Israelites and to the book's readers, that's you and I, that God was being true to his promises. Joshua chapter 13 in the lists of names is proving that we have a God that we can trust. The lists of land in chapter 13 that might be hard to pronounce, you want me to dip down and, and, just, and just pick a couple? Gilead, the Geshurites, the Machathites, Bashanta, Salica, like all of these places that you can trace on a map are the contours of God's victory. And while we may be tempted, as I was, the first thing I do when I'm preparing a sermon is just read the passage over and over in a few translations before I move on to any, any commentaries. And believe me, the second time through, the third time through, it's like, oh, I can just skip to verse 14. Oh, I can just skip to verse 33. But all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. All of this is God's word, not some of it. The lists of land in chapter 13 would have been especially meaningful to the people who were there when those battles were won. Those places would have been especially meaningful to the first generation who walked across the Jordan River and into Jericho. And into each city, they would have traced the contours of God's promises being fulfilled. What we're tempted to pass over in our scripture reading are the contours and the detail of God's rich promises. I would equate it this way. I grew up in an area of Wisconsin that you likely would only ever pass through on your way to someplace better. <laughs> and that's if you go to what I'm considering like better. So I grew up in Northeast Wisconsin, an hour north of Green Bay. You may have driven through on Highway 41 prior to the new highway on your way maybe to Crivets, area. Maybe you went rafting on the Peshtigo River. I don't know. There's no takers so far. So far they're like, no, like the place you grew up is a Passover zone and everywhere you're naming are places we'd never go. So uh, try again. You, you, might have, you might have gone to like Mackinac Island in the UP, or gone to the upper peninsula of Michigan and you would have driven through where I live. A total Passover area. You know how like fancy business people call the Midwest the flyover zone, you know, between the two important areas of the country? That's my part of Wisconsin that I grew up in. But to me, a kid who grew up in the middle of Coleman, Wisconsin, population 844 people, I knew it all. I used to ride my skateboard to school. And I knew in that tiny town Every single, as I close my eyes, every crack in every sidewalk, for good reason, <laughs> on my way to school. I know in that town that as I left 41 on the north edge of town that you would cross the Little Peshtigo River where my little brother Joel and I would fish for rock bass. We'd catch crayfish 
in the Little Peshtigo River. I know that when I was 11 years old, just off of the Little Peshtigo River, there's a pond next to a gravel pit, and I was baptized there when I was 11 years old. I know that as you get back on 41 and travel just four miles to the north, there are in a town, in a smaller town, because as you're going up 41, you have Lena, 700 people, Coleman, 800 people, Pound, 400 people. The next town is called Beaver, which is an odd name, and they don't even list how many people live there. <laughs> After that, you go to Crivets Middle Inlet, where my wife is from, on Moonshine Hill Road, and then Wasaki, Wisconsin. And believe it or not, things get smaller and more obscure after that. But as you go north of the town I grew up, in the little town of Pound, there are two Baptist churches on the east side of Highway 41, and they are closer than our parking lot is narrow. There's one two-lane road that separates two churches that are each about 115 years old. At that point, one spoke Polish and one spoke German. And I grew up in the Polish Baptist church. And so I can remember a very young Pastor Caleb and Sheena married there when Sheena was 19 and I was 20. I can remember everything about this town. As you move past that, you encounter a company, Pat's Farm Machinery, that made farm machinery. That's where I would work in the summer and during my first year of college, painting what would eventually be farm equipment, vertical mixers and such. So that area is special to me. I know all the contours of it. The generations, not just the first generation, but the second and third and the fourth generation of Israelites that would read Joshua 13 would be just as moved as I am picturing my pastor who's now deceased baptizing me in that pond near the gravel pit, just as I'm, I get a little emotional thinking about that, they would read these complicated names and be like, I remember my father telling me about that place. Next generation. I remember my grandfather telling me about how we first lost at AI and later won a victory. I remember how my great-great-grandfather would bring me back to the first promises given by Joshua, and he would say, God promised that he would never leave us, and guess what? He never did, and he will never leave you. So these names and places in Joshua chapter 13 are anything but boring. These lists tell us each of us here this morning, that God doesn't just lead us generally, but that God leads us specifically. God doesn't just keep his word in general, but God keeps every detail in a purposeful, good way for his people and for his glory. And you know what? This morning, these names in lists are calling out to you saying, hey, you can trust this God. You can trust this God. You see, by age 85, Joshua knew that the Lord had been with him every place that he went in every generation. And how many years have gone by since then? And God hasn't failed his people yet. The writer of scripture says, I've been young and I've been old 
but I've never seen God's children going without because God's been faithful to them in every place. I want to conclude the two major sections of Joshua 13. This, this morning, there are three points that I'm pulling from Joshua 13. We're not to the main emphasis of the passage yet. But the two points leading up tell us this, that in every phase of your life, God holds great purpose. 75, 80, 85, 90, 95, God is calling you to do something and he will be there and do it on your behalf. What is God calling you to do in this phase of your life? You may not feel it in, in terms of age, but you may be 17, 18, 19, 20 saying, what is on the other side of this? And I assure you that on the other side of this is a God who doesn't just lead you generally, he leads you specifically and has great purpose for you. And I know it feels scary, but what he calls you to do, trust him. He will do it on your behalf. Only trust him. We can trust this God. The main point of the passage is found in verses 14 and 33. Let's read them together. Joshua 13, 14, as each tribe is getting its inheritance, we come to the Levites first, the tribe of Levi, first in verse 14. Moses did not, however, give any inheritance to the tribe of Levi. This was their inheritance. Just as he had promised, the food offerings made to the Lord, the God of Israel. Let's deal with the Levites for a minute. All the tribes are gathering around uh, Joshua, and in Joshua's authoritative, well-earned rapport with the people, he's doling out land as God promised, and when it comes to the tribe of Levi, he says, I got nothing for you. Because all along, you've had the offerings of God's people, and we need to drill down into this just for a moment. In Numbers 18, verse 20, long before this, the Lord is giving instruction to Aaron about the priesthood of Israel, the people that would represent all of Israel. This is, I'm being very intentional with my language here. The Levites aren't just one tribe. When it comes to the worship of God, they represent all the people, all the people of God. And in Numbers 18, verse 20, the Lord says to Aaron, you will not have an inheritance in their land. So they knew this. There will be no portion among them for you. I am your portion in your inheritance among the Israelites. Specifically, the people would bring their food offerings to the temple and the Levites would live off of these food offerings brought to the Lord so that they could represent the people of Israel in the worship of Yahweh, the God of Israel. More than food, the Lord tells them, I am your portion and your inheritance among the Israelites. This is the background of Joshua 13, 14, that as the Levites represented all of God's people in worship, their inheritance was not land, but God. Joshua 13 then comes to a culmination, which I'm going to call the main point of the whole passage is verse 33. Verse 33 says this, but Moses did not give a portion to the tribe of Levi. The Lord 
The God of Israel was their inheritance just as he had promised them in Numbers 18, verse 20. The inheritance of the Levites was not land, but the Lord himself. This last fall, shortly before Advent, my grandfather unexpectedly passed away. So as our family navigated our individual grief and then gathered um, in, in to navigate our collective grief, the, his children, my dad and his siblings, gathered around his will, a very short, undetailed document from what I've heard. This represented how his goods would be split up amongst his family in the event of his death. Not much detail was given, but someone was specifically mentioned in this will, and that was me. And because of that inheritance, I'm resigning. I'm good. I'm just, I'm retiring. And that's what this sermon was about. This was really my, it's like a biblical retirement. It was not money at all. He lived in a small house in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, but he and I shared a passion for three things together. I probably got it from him, hunting and fishing and traveling in the Western United States. That was his passion. And so he left me his goods, his equipment, as it related to the outdoors and traveling. So as the family prepared the home for sale, he had this all in one room, which was his whole life. I mean, every time I would go over to my grandfather's house, he would be in his basement in this room. There'd be photos of mule deer and trout and streams in Colorado and Wyoming, uh, trips for moose. He would be reloading his own ammunition for an upcoming hunt. This was my grandfather. And that room was quite full. And so as I had the responsibility of cleaning it out, it still, it still fills about half of my garage. Um, so when it snowed yesterday, uh, both of our cars were full of snow because we can't really put anything in the garage. And that's on me, Sheena, and I know. I'll get after it. I will. As I went through these items, I couldn't help but note and remember his great passion uh, for each of these things. It, it was not only, it wasn't one of his hobbies. This, this, this was his hobby. Some might even say, um, in an unhealthy way, his life. As my family gathered around my grandfather's will and said that, Caleb, you have a portion and in inheritance related to hunting and fishing. Our father... God the Father has a will for his people. Through Jesus Christ, who according to 1 Peter, has made us a royal priesthood, a chosen race, a holy nation. Through Jesus Christ, God's will is for us to have his greatest gift. And God's greatest gift is himself. God, through the person and work of Jesus Christ, has a will for us, a portion to have, and that is all of him. As the psalmist said in Psalm 73, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. My 
portion, same word here, my portion, my inheritance forever. For those of us who have faith in God through Jesus Christ, our portion, our inheritance is indeed God himself. And the good news is that God alone is enough for us. You see, Yahweh, this great God, the God of Israel, so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus. So that whoever would believe in him would not die eternally, but live forever. And the word of God through whom all things were made became flesh and literally tabernacled, lived, dwelt among us. God gave us God, if you want to sum up Christmas that we just went through, God so loved you, Tom and Wayne and Ryan, everyone in this room. God so loved you that he gave you God. He gave you himself and lived among us. And when Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, he said, I'm going to send you a comforter, the Holy Spirit. And through faith in Jesus Christ, that we are connected back to God himself, we have the Holy Spirit sealing us until the day when we see God face to face forever. In fact, I've been thinking about this. As I've been piecing through each box of my grandfather's stuff, I'm like, oh, cool, a turkey call. I could use that. Like 19 spools of line. I'll never go through that much line in my whole life, but save it for a rainy day. If you need fishing line, talk to me. I'll give you some. And I start to get excited, like, wow. I'll, I'll never need to resupply these hunting and fishing items as long as I live. And I've had this vision, though. My grandfather, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, right after the passage we covered last Sunday. So to be absent from your body is to be at home with the Lord, where my grandfather is right now, present with the Lord. And I really believe, it hit me when I was going through his stuff, knowing what he knows now, I think I know what he'd tell me. Sell it all. Give it to one of your pastor buddies in Nepal. Tell more people about how they can be connected forever to the Father, because that is what really matters. It's important for us to know today that as, I'm going to say, this guy says it better than I could. Dale Ralph Davis puts it this way. A healthy, grateful faith sees beyond the inheritance to the one who granted it and is careful never to prize Yahweh's gifts more than Yahweh himself. Harvest, this morning as we conclude Joshua 13, I want to tell you that God's greatest gift is God. It is important for us to know that while all creation, according to Romans 1, we're all without excuse because all creation points to God, that while creation points to God, creation is not God. Harvest, I'm going to say something very intentional this morning that I believe we need to hear. So listen to what I'm saying. It is vital for us to know that the Bible, inspired by God's spirit, 
working through human authors, inerrant in its original form, authoritative for us today, is not God. The Bible points us to God. In the same way, the church is a gathering of believers united by one spirit to the head, Jesus Christ, to God. But the point of the church is not the church. The point of the church is not you. The point of the church is not the pastor. The point of the church is not the music, but the point of the church is Jesus Christ. Yet it is easy to almost worship the Bible, thinking through repeated reading of the Bible that I am more godly, that I am closer to God, but the Bible is meant for you to go through it to God. The church is meant for you to come in and be connected to God. This is not the point. You're not the point. I'm not the point. Harvest good things can be replacements for God. Worship music can be so excellently done and even using good lyrics point to nothing back but the worshipers themselves. Those shiny album covers, the thumbnail art on Spotify, it can all actually come back to the worship leader and the worshipers on stage and the worship music can become an end. And I'm here to break it to you. This isn't hypothetical. The industry is an end in and of itself. Harvest, I was convicted preparing this sermon that I was about to preach to you this morning about God, but not in the power of God. Do you know how easy it is to do church without God? I've done it professionally before. It is so easy for me to bring you a sermon about God in my own power and just really wanting to get through the sermon and have a good sermon and feel like it went well today. But I want more. I want preaching to be empowered by God and to point people to God. A one-way street where we approach the sermon and the text and we don't stop at the text and go, wow, he really knows his Bible. Or even, I want to dig down and know my Bible like he knows the Bible so I can be puffed up and arrogant and worship the Bible and not God the Father. I want to go through the Bible, through the church, through the preaching, through the worship music, to the Father himself because he is the only one that can ever satisfy us. A cup, no matter what it holds, can never satisfy your thirst. No matter how fancy that cup may be, it will never satisfy your thirst. Only its contents can. As we approach worship, Harvest Community Church, let us not settle for going through the motions. We will become as empty of a religion as any you've ever criticized. We want the power, the connection to God the Father himself. And this presence with God is all we're going to actually Can I turn to the back of the Bible as we close? The worship team is going to come up and prepare. Can I just tell us how the story ends? We sang that in the song today. I know how the story ends. We will be with you again. No more fear in life and death. Revelation 21. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling is with people, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Look at Revelation 22. Then he showed me the river of the water of life. Look at verse 4. 
They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Our eternal future is that God will live with us, that we will not need light because the one who said, let there be light will be with us, with us, living with us. And until then we have God's spirit sealing us and we know with absolute certainty that the God of Joshua 13 is our God and that every promise will be kept. The ushers are gonna come forward. We're gonna distribute the elements of communion. I wanna have a time of confession at the table this morning. As the elements are handed out and you hold the elements, what element of your life are you stopping at and not going through to God? This could be found in what you crave the most that is not God the Father. This could be empty forms of religion, sin. This could be your spouse or your children. I need this to be satisfied. What does God want you to confess and cry out that only he is enough? And then let's go to the, let, let's go to the table. As Christ said, let those who are thirsty come. I will give you I will give you living water and you will never thirst again. So those of us that thirst and crave, let us be satisfied in God himself this morning. Come to the table.